It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Lisa Brady. The math is complicated for the Fed and for the president. With another rate hike decision coming soon in September, inflation has been coming down, yet remains sticky in certain key areas, including food, and above the Fed's 2% target overall. But consumers are still spending, despite higher borrowing costs from 11 rate hikes since March of last year. Still, 8 in 10 rate the economy only fair or poor in a new Fox News poll, and more than half say President Biden has made it worse. To add all of this up, we spoke with Shark Tank's Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary about the chance of a soft landing, where cracks are forming, and the new topic at boardroom tables. We made edits for time and thought you might like to hear the whole thing. So thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the weekday Fox News Rundown podcast. Now here's Kevin O'Leary on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Fantastic. Got loads of questions. Can I dive right in? Go ahead. Okay. So, um, first off, it seems like most predictions and warnings of a recession are kind of falling by the wayside, at least for now. Are we out of the woods yet? No, we're not out of the woods, but the um, long-awaited soft landing seems to be rolling out. Um, This is highly unprecedented because usually the pace of rate hikes determines the depth of the recession and this is one of the fastest increases in rates ever and so one would have thought a steep decline would have occurred but I speculate that um, the reason that hasn't happened is the amount of money that is still sloshing around the system and hasn't even been printed yet close to a trillion dollars sitting in the CHIPS Science Act and the Inflation Reduction Act um, is, is still you know, not put to work. And so the market anticipates that. And that's why you're seeing new highs in some of the sectors of the S&P. Because if you're an S&P 500 company, you've got no problems. You've got a trillion dollars that's going to be printed for you over the next 36 months. Where the cracks are showing, and I don't think we know the outcome yet, is in small business in America, employers between five and 500. Uh, that have had this remarkable change in their cost of capital and now with the collapse of some regional banks and and others that have to go through refinancing their balance sheets on commercial real estate it's highly likely that that's where we're going to see the next trouble occur and I think Congress understands that and they're trying they realize that they've done a great job for S&P 500 but that's only 40 percent of the employers in America and the other 60% are small businesses, and we've done nothing for them. Are those small or even mid-sized businesses still having trouble hiring enough workers? They have, they're getting squeezed from three different directions. One is trying to find workers, particularly in the service industry. Um, and in places like California, where the cost of service has gone up 200%. Number two, uh, lack of liquidity in terms of any kind of loan book from the bank. So if you're trying to, if you want a current account, you want to borrow against receivables to pay payroll on Wednesday night, those loans have dried up. And then, of course, you've got a really big problem with the rate itself, the cost of capital. It used to be that my companies in my 
private portfolio could, could borrow at between 5 and 7%. Today, that's 11 to 14%. And if you want to factor, in other words, sell a Walmart receivable or sell a Target receivable, that can be as high as 22%. So that's not sustainable. Um, I don't know how it resolves itself, but that's where I'm seeing the next big risk. As the Fed weighs its next move on rate hikes, consumers who drive so much of the economy always seem to be a lot more resilient than many expected, even though inflation remains elevated. Um, how is that possible? <laughs> what, what is everybody spending money on? What are they buying? Well, that's a very good observation you're making because, again, it's unprecedented to have full employment. When your unemployment is under 4%, you're at full employment. We're there. To have inflation, core inflation is still above 4%. And so the, this idea that the Fed is, is going to stop raising rates, um, that's fiction. Uh, their mandate is to get to 2%. They're going to keep going till they get there. I, I would speculate that, you know, the September hike um, is it, you know, somewhere between 30 and 50 percent. But these, these numbers around core inflation, particularly energy and food, protein specifically, are, are really sticky. And, and, and now gasoline's back up to $4 a barrel. You could blame policy for that, but if the fa it's a fact. Gasoline and food are what consumers look at every week, every day. And they can affect election cycles and, and outcomes, actually. So inflation is a mandate killer. Uh, I, I would think, you know, uh, as we go into a presidential cycle here, that's going to be the focus of both, both parties. But I, I go back to the core reason. When you print this much money in 36 months, it's been three years of all kinds of programs. It started with the PPP and then went to all kinds of bills. This is a lot of liquidity. And when you ask why the consumer is so healthy, well, a lot of that liquidity is still in the consumer's pocket. And it, it looks to me like we're going to probably remain buoyant from the consumer's point of view through the rest of this year. Now, what happens in 2024 is anybody's bet, and that's where the market is starting to look. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. With gas prices hovering around $4 a gallon, that doesn't just impact consumers, of course, it impacts a lot of businesses too. Walmart just released a second quarter report that blew out expectations, a more than 6% increase in same-store sales. Target sales, though, dropped more than 5%. Both of those chains and their customers face the same challenges, including things like, you know, higher gas prices. Why are they going in different directions? Merchandising. Walmart's better at merchandising. They have a very, very large sector in their stores on food. Um, they know what customers are looking to buy in other goods. And in this, and this goes quarter to quarter, you see it happen. When, when you're doing, right now, if you're a buyer at Target, you're buying for spring. And you're having to make bets. You're trying to figure out, okay, what are people gonna want in spring? Is it large screen TVs? Is it bicycles? Is it jeans? What is it? And to the extent that you have a master plan and you're good at executing on it, you avoid what's happened to them in this last quarter. Markdowns, not having the right inventory in the right places. Um, they, they were 
they were clipped with that. And then they also had this extraordinary situation around a very small category, but it caused them a lot of heartache with their customer base. You saw it happen to Bud Light first, this concept of getting involved in gender identity um, and providing merchandise that, that su supports a, a gender identity narrative um, is, is a new one. Uh, for corporate America. In fact, I I'm going to be teaching that case this fall, the Bud Light case, in multiple business schools because there's, not, there's never been anything like it. Uh, and, it, it. and to a certain extent, that happened to Target in, in clothing. Um, they waded into gender-neutral clothing, if you want to call it that, or whatever you want to call it, and that did not sit well with millions of their customers for whatever reason. It's... it's um, it's a mistake, and they'll probably fix that. Bud Light's beyond a mistake. It's, it's a one-time, never happened before in, in the beer industry, which is a commodity. To lose 25% market share in six weeks has never, ever been achieved. Never. And it's, it's almost impossible to think that could happen, but it did. And it, it's important that new managers coming to the market understand what happened there. Uh, a study of the idiot management involved, the decisions they made, very important. Is there another trend, either positive or negative, um, that maybe is being overlooked in the economy or the corporate world right now? There is. There's a new risk and a new benefit. When you think about pre-pandemic, um, let's take a distribution pie, make it simple. And I have a portfolio of over 30 companies that service multiple sectors, everything from insecticide to greeting cards to wireless charging. And we looked at our sales. A lot of these are consumer goods and services. About 50% went through retail, so that would be uh, Target, Walmart, you just mentioned those names, and others. Um, and that's 50 cents on the dollar by the time you pay for distribution costs and um, the margin the retailer requires. And then 40% went through Amazon, uh, which is a different kind of retailer, but you make 60 cents on the dollar with Amazon, but you don't get any data about your customers. And then the last 10% were these companies' own websites where they all lost money managing them. They were using it as a marketing vehicle, but they, th their cost of customer acquisition was so high that they lost money selling direct to the customers they acquired. That's all changed in the last three years. Um, you can even see it with a behemoth like Nike. Uh, prior to the pandemic, they were lucky to make 20% direct to consumer. Today, they're almost 50%. And when you sell direct to the consumer, your only cost are customer acquisition, logistics of shipping, and manufacturing costs. So your margins can go up 30 40%. And so the, the new America, the new digital 2.0 America, is now 50% direct to consumer in, in all kinds of small and large companies. And the reason I tell you that is that the way they got there was the use of social media. Unpaid, paid. Um, a, a brand new methodology of marketing uh, using uh, influencers, and so there's a there's a pro and a con to that. You know, you have the you, you have a successful influencer, maybe a Kardashian, Kardashian or Jay Z, and, uh, but or you have one that blows up. Uh, in the case of what occurred in 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 Bud Light um, or Kanye West. Uh, Billions of dollars had to be written off there. And so that is a new risk that every corporation looks at. And so when you think about risk committees, you've got a compensation committee, you've got a compliance committee, a finance committee, and what we're talking about now at the boardroom table, particularly in public companies, is a social media committee. Controlling message to the extent you can. Um, again, using Bud Light as the example of how extraordinary things can 
how bad they can get if you don't have a handle on this. Wow. It doesn't take long for something, times really to change, right, in, in a short amount of time. I wanted to ask you about mortgage rates because they haven't been this high in more than 20 years. Um, how bad is that for a housing market where inventories are so tight as well, um, and in turn for the overall economy? It's not that bad for the housing market. That remains buoyant. It slows the turn of houses because if you have a mortgage at 3.5%, you're not going to take one at 7.5% when you move. So we've got that problem. But where it's manifesting itself into a $1.5 trillion problem is in commercial real estate, in office and commercial. Uh, Boston is a, used to be a triple A um, you know, venue for office space, and these office towers would trade between $750 and $1,000 a square foot. Today, you can't sell them for $250 because they're empty. Same in New York. Um, that's a huge mark-to-market down, and you haven't seen the impact of that yet in the markets because this paper has to turn over the next three years. So, and where it really hurts are the regional banks where, where they have up to 40% of their loan book their balance sheet in real estate because you have a whole generation of managers that have never worked in a rising rate environment and they just kept putting real estate on their book not understanding that that's a long duration asset and short rates are killing them and so now when that turns there's no equity left in the building because it's dropped in value by 40 to 60 percent and all of a sudden you got to put a mortgage on it that's 200 percent higher than what it was before And I I think that's where we're uh, most worried as investors. I certainly am. Um, I've really adjusted our portfolios in an operating company away from commercial real estate, although we did get hit there. But our book is down to less than 2% of commercial, and the rest is all residential, where in certain markets, um, particularly coastal states, it's extremely buoyant. I mean, Miami is an example of, of just how strong those markets are. And so uh, we invest there and in other places as well because there is a trend. uh, Because 40% of staff never came back to the office tower and they're working remotely, well, they want to live in places where they enjoy living. And that's sort of uh, what's occurring in the residential side. One other question for you. Some big investors are betting on bad times, um, at least in the markets, including Berkshire Hathaway CEO Warren Buffett, recently sold nearly $8 billion worth of stock. Um, should that worry the rest of us? And, and is it just safer financially for people to, you know, expect the worst at this point and plan that way? Well, well, let's take, that's a good question. Let's take it in pieces. Let's talk about the Buffett $8 billion sale. Um, the truth is that's a rounding error in his portfolio. I mean, it's remarkable as it sounds, it's true. He's just trimming because he has a diversification mandate. So. I, my bet is that sale was around stocks being managed by others, maybe not him, because he's got a broader base of managers now. But $8 billion sale in, in uh, Berkshire Hathaway is not relevant, not material. And so I don't worry about that as a signal of the market. There are other, there are other big bets being made, very much like the housing crisis, uh, when syndicated debt on housing, uh, The Big Short is a great movie about that story, but th- the market's... You know, that was a bet on one sector, real estate. This, the market's now 11 sectors, and including technology and energy and consumer and all kinds of other sectors. To bet against the entire market means that you're a market timer. And there are very, very few people that have made a long-term success of market timing. In other words, knowing when to buy, knowing when to sell. 
I would argue that it's a time now for some diversification across asset classes. Perhaps you know, going into the pandemic, you were 70 percent in, in, in equities and 30 percent in fixed income because fixed income was really underperforming a benchmark of a 6 percent return. But now you've got all kinds of, of, of well-rated paper north of 6 percent. So you know, in my case, for example, we've gone back to 60-40, 40 percent in fixed income. Um, and, and 60% in equities, but we haven't tried to time the market. I've, you know what happens? It's it's called experience. I was everybody's a market timer earlier in their, earlier in their investment history, and then of course as experience bites them in the hiney, uh, they try they stop doing that. Last word for people worried about the economy, worried about their own wallets. Um, what what advice do you give people? Well, I've learned I never bet against America. I mean it's. It just, it, 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 it's, a, it's a situation where we're very self-critical about our policies and our politics and the shenanigans going on in Washington and all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, this is the world's largest economy and, and it has found its path of least resistance through innovation. And so I'm always, always optimistic that we'll innovate beyond what anybody else can do and as a result drive a, a, a growing economy. GDP growth last quarter, north of 5%, that's unprecedented, too. I mean, I'm not saying that's going to be the annual number, but it just, there's a tremendous amount of productivity that comes from advancements in technology. The latest that's being hyped is AI, but it will actually affect S&P earnings in a positive way over the next decade. And so I, I remain optimistic, and I tell people, don't try and time the market. If you're nervous, just have a higher allocation to cash. At least you're getting paid 4 to 5% for that now. But... Do a, a broad sectoral diversification. I use ETFs. Um, I, I found them to work very efficiently at low cost, but, and, and, and that's what I believe. And, and so if people say to me, oh, the, the, you know, the, whole, the market's going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, I've heard that before <laughs> many, many times. And if you're going to bet on the end of the world, you're only going to get it right once. That's it. And so I, I don't see that happening personally. But you never know, of course. Um, I'm, I'm just generally an optimist, and I'm very encouraged by the fact that I've got multiple men and women in my portfolio that are CEOs of their private companies, uh, in addition to what I do in the public markets. But they're really good entrepreneurs, and they, they figured out a way to survive through what was unprecedented hell on earth during that pandemic. And here we are, having one of our best quarters in history. Shark Tank investor Kevin O'Leary. Mr. Wonderful, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast, bringing you closer to the story than you ever thought possible. Subscribe at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. These are the stories that keep you up at night. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.